Thank you, Jeff, musicians and singers. Take your copy of God's Word this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 will be beginning at verse 10 in just a moment. We have uh, about five weeks until Easter. So as Bill said, I would encourage you to begin to invite folks and uh, be a great day that day. Uh, both services are usually full, but you invite your neighbors and friends and, and ask them to come. Uh, now, for our, our study today, we, we finished up Daniel last week, and then uh, probably two or three weeks out from Easter, I'll begin doing some Easter messages, so that gave us two weeks to do whatever we want to. We're going to have a, a study we're in. So uh, I want us to think for a few minutes this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 10, about an appeal for unity in the church, an appeal for unity in the church. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church at Corinth. Uh, if you know anything about the Bible, the church at Corinth had many issues. It was probably the most difficult church that Paul dealt with of all the churches that he ministered to. Uh, one of the challenges in this church was divisions. There were groups in the church. There were different groups in the church. Now, they had not come to the point where they had split, where they were breaking off groups. I'm always amazed when we, sometimes when Sherry and I travel, I like to get off the interstate and drive back roads. And it takes longer, but it's much more enjoyable. You can see a lot more scenery, and, uh, and uh, we drive through a lot of little towns. And I'm always intrigued. You drive down the main drag of a little town, and there's first Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, whatever. And then about a block later, what do you see? Second Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, and sometimes third and fourth, depending on how much you drive around town. Now, where did second, third, fourth come from? Probably from the first one, okay? Uh, I don't know about a lot of denominations, but among the Baptists, one of our church planning strategies is we just split the churches that are there. I'm not sure if that's biblical or not, but that's what happens. Uh, churches split. They get divisions in them. Well, on a serious note, uh, that's sinful and it shouldn't happen. I mean, it shouldn't God's church shouldn't be fighting within itself. And that's exactly the point Paul's going to make to this church in Corinth. Report had come to him that there were, there were sections broken off in the church. There were cliques, if you will. There were groups. And so Paul wrote them and told them there should not be this division among the church. There should be unity. They should be working together. And uh, what was true for them in the first century is certainly true for the church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century. So look at verse 10 and let's see what Paul had to say to this church that was struggling with divisions. He said, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, that's Peter, or I am of Christ. And then Paul asks a question that demands a negative answer. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made 
of no effect. Wow, he just kind of like started the letter right off and got in there, didn't he? I want you to notice that he began the letter by addressing them as brethren. Now that's important. And you say, well, what's so important about that? Well, what Paul did by addressing them as brothers, he identified they're saved people. They're saved men and women. They are saved men and women who are not acting like saved men and women. You say, does that happen? Yes, pretty regularly. Saved men and women, the redeemed of Christ, who are probably not operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. They're operating in the flesh. And when we operate in the flesh as men and women who are saved, we always get off track and we always do wrong. And so Paul addressed them as, as brethren. Now, addressing them with that title did two things for them. Number one, it, it, it opened the motive to them for why he was writing. His motive for, let's just call it, he's going to rebuke them. He's going to say, you need to stop the divisions. Now, rebukes are never easy, are they? Confrontation is not easy. Rebuking someone, correcting someone in love. He begins with the term brethren because he loves them. So it sets the motive for why he's doing it. He's not doing it to be, to be mean. He's not doing it to be rough against them. No, these Christians are fellow believers. These Christians are, are members of the family of God. They are part of the body of Christ. And so his, his rebuke against them, if you will, is completely out of love. His motive is for restoration, for correction, for effectiveness of the church, not, not to be mean to them or to be unkind to them. Rebukes and confrontation are always easier when they're done in love. They're always better received when they are done in love. And we are called as Christians sometimes to correct one another, to call out sin when we see it. Not in, listen, not in a judgmental way, not in a, not in a condemning way. In fact, think about it for just a moment. When, when church discipline has to be exercised, and it's always a difficult thing if a brother or sister in Christ uh, leaves, the, leaves the fold, if you will, and they go back out into the world and, and you come alongside them, and how does the Bible say to do it? First, one-on-one, -on -one, you go to them one-on-one -on -one as your brother or sister in Christ. You don't, you don't make a big public spectacle of it. You go to them. How do you go to them? How do we go to them? Paul's example right here. Number one, you go to them in love. And not just in words of love, but in genuine compassion and brokenness for them that you desire for their restoration and you desire for the blessing in their life and that sin not destroy them or their family or whatever the case may be. And so you go to them in love and you go to them, listen, we go to them in humility, not in pride, not in judgment, not in arrogance. Why do we not go in pride? Lest we be susceptible to the same sin lest we fall as they have fallen, or lest we be tempted as they have been tempted. We go with humility. We go with love. We go with humility, and we go with a desire for restoration. <clears throat> Church discipline, listen to this very carefully, is never punitive. Never punitive. We don't sit in the judgment seat. We don't sit in judgment over other people. We love them. Jesus Christ is the judge. We all stand in front of him one day. So we go to them in love, we go to them in humility, we go, with them, we go to them with a heart desiring for restoration. That's how Paul comes to this church. He says, you're my brothers and my sisters in Christ. And he's saying to them by using that term, I love you and I want the best for you. And as an apostle, as the one, really as the one who, who helped give birth to the church and many of them are saved through his preaching. 
He loved them and he had compassion for them and he wanted to restore them. May our motives be right when we deal with one another. And may we deal with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And the second reason he began with brethren, the reason he addressed them as brothers and sisters in Christ, is it's the natural flow of things. It's the way it is. When you're in a family and you're brothers and sisters in Christ, we all share in the same things. We all share in the same challenges. We all share in the same victories. Think about these Christians. They're all they're all indwelt by the Holy Spirit. No matter what their lifestyle and what they're doing, God, the Holy Spirit, sealed them. They're part of the body of Christ. They've been redeemed by Jesus. They are uh, in a relationship with Christ and in a relationship with us. You see, in the church, when one of us hurts or gets into sin or, or, or stumbles, it hurts the whole. Why? Because we're a family, just as it would in your family, in your natural family. And so Paul addresses them as brethren and he wants to he wants them to know that he cares about them and that he's concerned about them and yet and yet he deals with the issue now listen sometimes that's hard isn't it it's hard you say boy i really need to deal with an issue with my brother or sister in christ but i don't want to i don't want to be confrontational well sin is confrontational and so is truth truth always rubs people the wrong way i mean truth calls us to truth right i mean truth says get on one side of the line or the other and so it's confrontational. It makes us pick, but Paul had to deal with them. Now, based on this appeal to unity, notice again in verse 10 what he said. He said, I plead with you, brethren, by who? By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Speaking the same thing means being of one mind means being of the same purpose. In other words, he said, in Jesus Christ, I want you to be in the same purpose. Now think about it in our day, in the 21st century. There's great diversity in the church today. Now the church is not a single local place. We are a church because we meet together as a body of believers. But the church is universal. It's everybody who's saved by faith in Jesus Christ. You follow that? Every person around the world who has been drawn to Jesus Christ to be saved, they're in the body of Christ, they're in the church. The church has great diversity in it, and God designed it that way. There are saved men and women all over the world of every ethnicity, of every culture, of every background, of every socioeconomic status. God has saved men and women out of every, every tongue and tribe and nation in the world. That's why Jesus came. And there will, in those human differences, be challenges. It's very likely in a local congregation of any size, you're going to meet somebody that you just don't gel with. It's going to happen. You're going to meet somebody that, that you just don't click with. That just, you, know, you aren't going to end up being bosom buddies and pen pals or anything like that. Okay. But one writer said it this way. He said, our agreement on the greater things should extinguish divisions on the smaller things. Meaning just because we might not agree on every little thing, the fact that we both love Jesus trumps all of that, doesn't it? The fact that we both love Jesus and that we love his word and we want to see people saved and the fact that God's called us to serve him supersedes all of those personal preferences and all those little things that are underneath the surface. And what Satan likes to do is take the little things and make them the major things. 
The little things don't need to be the major things. They need to be the minor things. And the major thing needs to be who? Jesus, which is exactly what Paul said. I want you to have unity in the name of Jesus Christ. I want you to be unified <clears throat> around Jesus Christ. Now, lest we think Paul was just picking on the church at Corinth, I want to show you two passages real quick. Not only did he say this to the church at Corinth, but he said it to the church in Galatia and the church in Ephesus. Let me show it to you real quick. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, listen to what he said. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Jesus or into Christ <clears throat> have put on Christ. There are neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now he's talking about all of our places in Christ, and it gives us a unity. Just because we have differences in life, those differences have functions, but we have a unity in Christ, and we should be able to serve together, and we should be able to work together. Listen to what he said to Ephesus. I therefore, the prisoner in Ephesus 4.1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity, working for it, giving effort for it. The unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called of one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. <clears throat> That's a whole bunch of ones, isn't it? whole bunch of all in alls. Why? Because in Jesus we have a natural, spiritual unity. And it's our flesh, and it's our selfishness that divides us. It's me putting a flag in the ground and saying, this is what I want, and I don't care what anybody else thinks. That always causes divisions. Let me illustrate it in a human way that I believe illustrates it very well. I have two brothers. One of them's passed away and one of them, my younger one's still alive. We're different even though we're brothers. You might get a kick out of this. First one's kind of sad. My older brother was an alcoholic and a drug addict. I've never used alcohol or recreational drugs in my entire life. Just never. That's, I, there's a lot of places in life that I struggle with sin. Those have never been a problem. Thank God for it. But my older brother was an alcoholic and a drug addict. And I spent an incredible amount of time over the years trying to help him, trying to get him out of that stuff. So in lifestyle, my older brother and I were very different because he had a lifestyle that went with being an alcoholic and a drug addict, and he ran in those circles, and he had a, he had a, a very flamboyant life, a lot of sin, a lot of open rebellion, uh, and it took his life. It killed him. But at the end of the day, here's the truth. In a human sense, the blood in his veins, same in mine. He's my brother. And I loved him. And no matter that his life was off the rails and he was doing those things, I took every opportunity to try to help him. I confronted him over his drug use. I confronted him over his alcoholism. I tried to get him into rehab. I tried to move him one time into my home. I said, Michael, if you, will, if you will just leave where you are so I can remove you from, from the, the influence in your life, come live with me. I'll give you a place to sleep. I'll feed you, and then we'll get you in rehab. We'll get you a job, but you've got to get away or it's going to kill you. And he wouldn't, and it killed him. My point is, at the end of the day, he's my brother. 
and nothing changes that. His lifestyle didn't change that. He's my brother, and at the end of the day, it was him and me, okay? I mean, I was there for him. It was always us until the sin destroyed his life. Now, my younger brother's the same way. He lives in Virginia. He's about to retire. He's a retired Army guy, and I'm retired Navy. That's oil and water, okay? I mean, you know, Army, Navy, when we get together, he talks about Army stuff, you know, shooting guns and shells and blowing stuff up, and I talk about nautical stuff, and we look at one another like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And so oil and water, right? And if you're watching, brother, I still love you. It's okay if you're in the Army. <clears throat> but we, but you know, we have different, we had different paths in life and different things. Uh, my, bro, my younger brother saved and worked, you know, he's on a security team up there in Virginia at a church he attends, and so he's saved and he loves the Lord. But in a human sense, the blood that runs in his veins runs in mine. He's my brother. And so no matter what, no matter what he would do, no matter what would happen to him, he's my brother. Nothing changes that. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what his you know, quirky army stuff is. It doesn't matter. That stuff, that's the minor stuff. The major stuff is that he's my brother. And if that's true in a human sense, and it is, it is to the nth degree in a human sense, how much more is it true in the church of Jesus Christ? We might have quirkiness. I Listen, Sherry tells me all the time, thank God there's only one of you in the world because you are you do some crazy stuff. I mean, we all, we all have our own God-given personalities and the way we see things. And I like this color and you like that color. And I, you know, I like carpet. You don't like carpet. We, you, you name it, we can be different about everything. But what's most important at the end of the day the same God who saved me saved you. The same God who saved you saved me. And the same Holy Spirit who indwells you indwells me. And we are born into the same body of Christ. And so Paul's plea is this. Don't fight among yourselves. Don't argue over the silly stuff. Don't break into divisions in the church and split the church. No, have unity in Jesus Christ. Put the little things away that don't matter. Be willing to sacrifice those for the unity of Christ. Listen, I, we could, I could give you illustration after illustration. In the church, many ministries go on. There's preaching, and there's teaching, and there's outreach, and there's visiting in the hospitals. And some of you may not see any of that stuff happening, but it's happening all the time. I mean, people, we have deacons and leaders and elders, and Bill and myself, we're doing memorial services. We're just all over, okay? Lots of ministry going on. Now, one brother or sister in Christ might be engaged in a ministry, and it's a pretty good chance they won't, they won't be doing it like I would do it. Why? Because they're not me, and I'm not them. And they're doing their ministry, and they love Jesus, and God's using them in their spiritual gift, and they're serving. Now, why would I want to cause a division by going over and saying to them, well, I'm glad you're serving, but I want you to do it like I want you to do it. As long as there's no doctrinal error, leave them alone. That's all I can say. Leave them alone. If they're, not, if they're not doing something that's contradictory to the Word of God, then pat them on the back, say thank you for serving, and I love you, knock yourself out. Okay? And somebody would say, well, I could do it better than that. Yeah, but you're not. And they are. If you can do it better, get in there. Do it. 
But see, the church will get divided over that stuff. I mean, I could go on. The list is long. I've been doing this long enough to see just about all of it. You know, the church, listen, the church can be divided over how people dress. Church can be divided over music. The church can be divided over, over what time we meet and where we meet and how we meet. And what, listen, the, it's all personal preference stuff. That's the minor stuff. What's the major? Jesus loves us and he saved us. And he wants us to tell lost people about Jesus. What's the major? We got to love one another and encourage one another and build one another up and come alongside those that are hurting and encourage those who are struggling. And yes, sometimes confront those who have gotten off in sin in love and humility and compassion. That's what Paul's saying to this church. He said, I want you guys to love one another in Jesus. I want you to have unity. Now, he, he specifically identifies the divisions here. Well, he gets down. Look at verses 11 and, and 12. He says, For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there is contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or Peter, and I am of Christ. Now Paul was, I believe Paul was in Ephesus when he wrote this. And what had happened is some people from Chloe's household, servants or whatever, had been to Corinth, and maybe they attended church there. And they came back and told Paul, hey, we were in Corinth, and we were hanging out with the church, and they got some issues going on there. They got some divisions. They broke into these groups, and he names four of them here. Now, here's what happened. Apparently, here's what happened from the text. Here's what we can discern. Groups in the church picked a leader and hijacked their name. Because I can assure you, Paul wouldn't have been happy that there was some sect in the church in Corinth who was claiming to be his followers. Well, I'm of Paul or I'm of Peter because who would Paul want them to be followers of? Jesus Christ, not him, okay? So I'm pretty sure Paul would not have been happy that they were hijacking his name as they did Apollos and Peter. Uh, so here are the four groups. The first one is some in the church were saying, well, we're, we're really disciples of the apostle Paul. You know, he's the guy. And, and we're his disciples, and we're following him. Now, most likely, and we don't, it doesn't say, but we can, we can understand, Paul, who did he predominantly preach to? He would begin preaching in the synagogue, and then when he was rejected there, he would go preach to the Gentiles. And then the Gentiles, a bunch of them would get saved, and boom, there's the church. So I would suspect that a bunch of these people who were claiming to be Paul followers were Gentiles who were loving the freedom of grace in Jesus Christ. Deliverance from the law, deliverance from sin. But here's the danger in that group. And by the way, these groups are in the church today in the 21st century. Here's the danger in that group. License. Oh, I'm saved and, and I'm not under the law anymore. And in my Christian liberty, I can do whatever I want. Whoa, big fella. Hang on. No, no, no. Listen, we are delivered from sin and from the law. and We are set free from the bondage of sin and the bondage of the law, but we're not set, set free to license to do whatever we want to. You understand in the New Testament, there's a Christian ethic of holiness and righteousness that reflects the character of Jesus Christ in us. And so this group had the danger of, of running out there and running amok and going, well, you know, I'm free in Jesus. So I can do whatever I want. There are a bunch of Christians who live that way today, and it's wrong. It's wrong. God the Holy Spirit gives you and me convictions about what's in the word, and you ought to listen to him. We ought to listen to him. The second group here is the followers of Apollos. You say, well, I've heard that guy before, but who is he? Well, he's, a, he's an Alexandrian Jew who was a gifted orator. The guy could speak. 
I mean, he, he had a gift. He was, people were interested in him. He could speak well, and he could articulate, which, by the way, if you study history, was what those Alexandrian dudes were all about. Man, they liked to debate with one another. They liked to be able to, to share and to talk and to, be, and to be orators. And so he was gifted at that. And, you know, uh, he was a gifted speaker. And so there were some people in Corinth that said, well, you know, we're followers of Apollos, and we, we like his analytical thought. And we like his philosophy. You know what the danger for that group was? They were going to turn Christianity into just another philosophy. They were going to turn Christianity into just a thing you debate about all the time. I don't want to debate with people about Christianity. I want to state the truth. You either believe it or not, and then we're going to move on. That's it. I'm not going to try to define Christianity as a philosophy because it's not a philosophy. It's a relationship. And so this group had a danger of turning it into this philosophy to debate about and talk about. And there are, there are people in the world who want to do that today. Listen, there's a point where you begin to cast pearls before swine. You share the gospel, and you share the truth, and you love people. And if they don't want Jesus, they don't want to accept the validity of the inerrancy and infallibility of God's word, then move to the next person. Move to the next person. Because the thing you would try to do being philosophical is you try to become the Holy Spirit. Don't do that. Let the Holy Spirit do what he does. Okay? So the second group had us potential for error. And then the third group was the followers of Peter. Now, Peter was Jewish and was uh, very prominent in the church in Jerusalem. So I just suspect this group was kind of like, kind of maybe a little bit like Judaizers, a little bit legalistic. We see Christians like that today, you know. Man, you got to live right. And if you don't live right, we're watching you. Kind of like the mafia, you know, Christian mafia. You know, we're going to keep an eye on you. If you get out of line, we're going to call you up. Hey, this is sad. I knew a church. I knew a church. These people that went to church, and a man got into sin, and uh, he had an affair on his wife, and they made that guy get up in front of church, and and you know talk about it and confess and all. Bust the church. Church split up over that. That's not biblical, by the way. That's not that kind of legalism and that kind of punishment is not is not biblical. We just talked about that. This group had the danger of being that way. You know, us four, no more, and I'm not sure about you three kind of thing, you know? Not, you know that whole sect kind of thing. Listen, I heard a preacher this last week. I was listening to some sermons. I listened to some, some good sermons this week. I almost stole one of them because they were so good. I didn't. No, I'm kidding. But he, he said in there, he said, you know, if a church becomes very exclusive, gets to be one of those exclusive congregations, he said, you don't want to go there. He said, because they're condemning other people who are really doing the work of Jesus Christ, and they think they have all the answers. That's the danger of this group, Judaizers, and people who are really legalistic. And then you said, well, there's a fourth group who said, we're followers of, of Christ. Well, yeah, they kind of go with the Judaizers, meaning, yeah, we're the real followers of Christ, and you don't know what you're doing. We're like the real people. You know, sometimes I get these things in the mail. God bless them. Church is starting somewhere, right? Brand new church. And I get this card that's about this big. It just barely fits in the mailbox. You know, it's this giant card. And it says, come to our church where the Bible's really taught. Come to our church where we really worship. Come to our church. And it, and it gives me this list of stuff. Come to our church where we, A, B, C, D, and E. You know what the insinuation of that is? Nobody else is doing it right. So if you come here, you're going to get what you need. 
Now, I, and I appreciate the effort, okay? I do, because we started a church from scratch, and I know how it feels. I appreciate their effort to reach the community, the unreached community that of people that aren't going to church. I applaud that. I pray God bless the britches off of them. But you got to be careful of saying, hey, if you come here, you're going to get what you really need that you can't get anywhere else. No, because there are a lot of God-fearing Good Bible teaching preachers all over the place. And there are a lot of churches that love Jesus. And man, they're worshiping. And they're teaching God's word. And they're doing the ministry. So be careful of that. That's what this fourth group could be in danger of being. Now, again, I say all of these, all of these groups are present in the 21st century. And we have to be careful not to divide the church over these things. Let me, let me point out one more thing real quick. And we're going to wrap it up. <clears throat> I'm sure you understand this. You're, you're a bright lot. I know that. You do realize that in heaven, there are no denominational sections, right? I don't want anybody to be shocked here. I don't want anybody to be, you know, there is no Baptist section in heaven. Just saying, okay? Now, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Baptist, Southern Baptist, because I believe doctrinally we follow the Bible as close to anybody. But I've said many times, if I wasn't a Baptist, I'd probably be a Presbyterian, minus some of the hyper-Calvinism stuff. I mean, I, you understand what I'm saying. I just, I, there's a lot, of, there, there's no Baptist section in heaven. There's no Presbyterian section in heaven. There's no Methodist section in heaven. There's no Lutheran section. There's no Brethren section. There's no non-denominational section in heaven. That's a big thing now, you know. What church are you? Oh, we're non-denominational. Not sure what that means, but good for you. I don't, right, great. There's none of those sections in heaven. Th what is there in heaven? Just saved people. Just people who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, who are in the family. Now, if that's true, and it is, what should we be like in the church today? Unity. Not fighting. Not disputing with one another. Certainly not fighting over the little things. Now, there are times. Let me say this very quickly. There are times when there's doctrinal error, and Satan will do that. He'll try to bring error into church. Then it is, it is incumbent upon the pastor and the elders and the leaders of the church to stand up and go, no, wait a minute. That's not what the Bible says, and we're not going to go down that road. And there will be people that leave when that happens, but it won't split the church, Okay. The people who, who want to be an error, they'll leave, and that's fine. But there is no reason for us to have disunity over the little things. Now, let me finish with this. <clears throat> Paul gets personal here at the end, and we, we got a few minutes. So look at this, verses 14 to 17. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. And he goes on to say, lest anyone should say that I have baptized in my own name. In other words, he said, I'm glad I didn't do a bunch of baptism because I don't want you to think I was trying to build a group for me, you know, a bunch of followers of Paul. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I don't know whether I baptized any other. Now look at verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Now, very quickly, here's what he says in verse 17. He, you say, well, that's a strong statement. God didn't send me to baptize, he sent me to preach. Well, he's not condemning baptism. The Bible commands that we be baptized after we're saved. There's no argument about that. Baptism is a picture of salvation. You go into water, it's a picture of dying with Christ. You come up out of the water, it's a picture of being resurrected with him. 
Baptism is, a, is one of the two ordinances Jesus left the church, Lord's Supper and baptism. We do baptisms because Jesus said to do it, and it's a testimony. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about my main focus in the ministry is not to baptize people so they become followers of Paul. He said, I'm not trying to build groups who are going to follow me. He said, no, God sent me to preach the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul's preaching was this. Jesus is the promised Messiah. He died on the cross to pay for sin. They buried him in a tomb. He rose again the third day and ascended back to the Father. Hey, he's coming back one day, and you should get ready. That was his message every time. To the Jews, he's the Messiah. He's the promised one. Oh, and by the way, he's the one you crucified. He's the one you hung on a tree. He came out of the tomb on the third day. He rose. He's alive. He's coming back one day, and he'll save you. You ought to get saved. To the Gentiles, hey, he's the promised one the Jews talked about. He died on the cross. They buried him. He rose again the third day. He ascended back to the Father. He's coming back one day, and you ought to get saved. Not much difference, right? It's the same message. Paul said, I didn't come here to build a group for Paul. I came here to preach the gospel. Let me conclude with this thought. There should be unity in the church. I thank God that over the years, 21 years here, we've not had a lot of instances of people getting mad. There have been a couple of times over the life of this church where a group of people have gotten upset with whatever, and it's usually little stuff. It's usually, you know, where did we put this stuff or what did we do with that? And they, and they leave, and they take their buddies with them. That's okay. You know, I just pray that they're as great a blessing to wherever they went as they were here. I mean, that's okay. But you know what? We, shouldn't, we, we should, as Christians, prayerfully endeavor to pursue unity in the body of Christ for the cause of Christ, for the effectiveness of the gospel, for the ministry of the gospel to one another. And I pray that will continue to be true of us here at Oakleaf. And I pray that as, as this pandemic has waned, and I pray that people will come back. I pray we can get out there and encourage people to come back to church. We need corporate worship. We need the fellowship. We need to be with one another. There needs to be unity in worship and unity in purpose and unity in our fellowship. You say, well, how do I, how do I be a part of that? Well, the first thing you need is Jesus Christ. You need to be saved. If you're not saved this morning, if you're watching online or you're watching this video later or you're in the balcony or you're here and you're not sure when you die you'd go to heaven, you're not sure when you die that you would have eternal life with Christ, you need to get saved today. You see, Jesus will give you absolute certainty in that. If you'll come to him by faith, confess your sin, ask him to forgive you, Jesus will save you today. And then you will be in the body of Christ. You'll be born again and have fellowship with him and with us. If you need Jesus, would you pray to receive him this morning? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, you give us a unity in the body of Christ. Give us a, a focus on the major things, Lord, and not the minor things. Help us, God, to focus on the sharing of the gospel, of loving one another, of ministering and building one another up. Help us, God, to do that in your power and your strength. God, if there's a a man or a woman, a young person, boy or girl, here this morning. And Lord, they're not sure that if they die today, they would be with you in eternity. God, may they right now confess their sin and say, God, I want to be saved. God, forgive me. I want to know that my eternal destiny is secure. God, I pray they would call out to you now. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
If I can pray with you or help you as we sing, you come on the first verse. Let's stand together. Have thine own see you this morning. Awana uh, tonight at five, we're in our study on Joseph on Sunday nights. And our passage tonight in Genesis 41 there, uh, Pharaoh's going to have some dreams and Joseph's going to get called up out of the jail. Really good passage. I invite you to come back and enjoy it with us tonight. Let's pray. Father, give us a safe journey as we go home today. Bring us back this evening, Lord, and spend some more time in your word and fellowship together. Bless your church, God. Give us unity. God, give us like-mindedness, Lord, and that we speak.